Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. You are listening to the best of Sports Business Radio. We're going to look back on three interviews with three of the brightest men in the NFL this week. In segment two, you're going to hear my conversation with A.J. Smith, the general manager of the San Diego Chargers. In segment three, you'll hear my conversation with Bill Polian, the president of the Indianapolis Colts, and also the multiple winner of the NFL's Executive of the Year Award. And then in segment four, Mickey Loomis, the general manager of the defending Super Bowl champion New Orleans Saints, three of the brightest minds in the NFL. Those conversations coming up next right here on the best of sports business radio. Enjoy. This is SBR, back with more after this. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is A.J. Smith. He's the executive vice president and general manager for the San Diego Chargers. He was named the NFL's top GM for 2006 by Forbes magazine. He's overseen a renaissance in San Diego as the Chargers have won the AFC West two of the last three years, and they won a franchise record 14 games last season. A.J., thanks for joining me. Brian, good to be with you. So since you took the reins of the Chargers back in 2003, you've established yourself as one of the best talent evaluators in all of the NFL. During your tenure, you selected at least one player per year via the NFL draft who turned into a Pro Bowl player. We've seen teams like the Oakland A's, Boston Red Sox, Portland Trailblazers develop proprietary formulas that help them identify the best players for their systems. 
When you're building an NFL roster, what are the general tools or formulas that you try and utilize? Well, Brian, first of all, we do believe that it's all about the players. The, the players are the most important part of the operation because they're the ones that make it happen. And, and you have to go out there and get them. And what I've been saying is by any means, and by any means is what in, within your industry can you do that? Well, as the college draft, what everyone's familiar with, and you have unrestricted free agency, you have the Arena League, you have CFL, uh, supplemental draft, which is not explored very, very much, trades take place, but whatever vehicle that you want to explore to get football players, you get them in here. I think we have an outstanding staff of people that can evaluate players here, and so we identify the players, and then we try to bring them in as quickly as we can, Brian. On top of that, if you're successful and you like the players that you do have, uh, my philosophy is not so much to go out into the open market and get four or five or six guys from other teams. But let's go from within our own organization with players and identify them early and try to do some contracts so we can keep the window of opportunity more open than just three or four years or the length of their contract. We've been very successful with that. We've got like 30 contracts where guys are pushed way out in 09, beyond that to 11, 12. So we're very, very excited about it, and uh, as we know, we, we are very proud of how far we've come, Brian. We, you know, wasn't very long ago, years back, that we were the worst team in the National Football League, and now we take great pride in having people recognize that we have talent, but we really haven't done anything yet in postseason, so that's our next goal. AJ, I'm not just saying this because I'm sitting here talking to you. I've said this many times on our show. You would definitely get my vote for Executive of the Year in the NFL. And one of the reasons I say that is because you're not afraid to make bold decisions. For example, you drafted Eli Manning, then you traded his rights for Phillip Rivers, Sean Merriman, and other players. You let Drew Brees become a free agent. You took Phillip Rivers. He had a great year last year. Antonio Gates, he was in a holdout, but you ultimately got him signed. And you did fire Marty Schottenheimer, even though he won 14 games last year. Again, one of the things I admire about you, AJ, is it seems like so many executives in sports these days are more worried about saving their own jobs, and they're afraid to make bold moves. You make bold moves, and I like that. Talk about that for a minute. Well, Brian, I appreciate that, but but I do really agree with what you're saying. Uh, I believe that you do the very best that you can. Uh, we all have a plan in this league. There are 32 teams, and everyone has a plan, but only two teams go to the Super Bowl and one's going to win it, and the rest of us try to figure it out. But, but a key thing that I try to remind myself of daily is you cannot be afraid to fail. You, you must be aggressive, not recklessly aggressive, but be very, very aggressive and believe in, in what you, your plan is. And I think we do that around here. It's all about trying to win a championship and just go for it. If it's right out in front of you, you know, passive and cautious and, and try not to lose, I think you're going to fail. Uh, go out there and be aggressive and get after this thing. If you're going to go for it, go for it your way. So if you wake up in the morning and things don't work out, I'd rather look in the mirror and say, you know what, we've tried everything we possibly could to try to win a championship. My guest is A.J. Smith, the Executive Vice President and General Manager of the San Diego Chargers. North Turner, he's your new head coach. Brilliant offensive mind. Obviously, your team has several offensive weapons, including league MVP LaDainian Tomlinson. What qualities does North Turner possess that made him your choice as the head coach of the San Diego Chargers? Well, I think he's an outstanding football mind. There's no question about that. I've studied him before, and when I was with the Buffalo Bills, 
director of pro scouting. I'm familiar with his work in Dallas. As we know, that we went up against their football teams twice in the Super Bowl, lost them both. Jimmy Johnson was the head coach, obviously a great decision maker, and uh, I think a gambler to some uh, point, and I respected that going after a championship. But he had full faith in North Turner to run that offense, and it was unbelievable how he identified the talent and got the ball into their hands. I know that he was not successful in Washington and Oakland. People have pointed that out to me many, many times, Brian. But my answer to that was I'm very familiar with where he's been, uh, but he's not worked with the San Diego Chargers, and he has not worked with me on a day-to-day basis. And and I'm really looking forward to, to rolling up our sleeves and getting after this thing together. Uh, postseason, very important if we're fortunate enough to go there, and I hope we do in years to come. It always comes down to decision-making four or five times a game, critical decisions, game management that push you over the top. I have all the faith in the world that he is going to be capable of doing that and also recognizing players. He's an outstanding evaluator of talent. He recognizes players and how to put the ball consistently into your playmaker's hands. Never lose sight of that, no matter how things are going, if they're going poorly. So I'm excited about it, obviously, and uh, we're going to get after this thing together and try to make it happen. Tell me about Alex Spanos. He seems like he's just one of the most dedicated owners in sports. I know how badly he wants to win a Super Bowl. Tell me about Alex, if you would. Well, it's Alex and his son, Dean Spanos, both together. Uh, No question they're committed to winning here in San Diego. And uh, Alex just uh, last year handed full control over to Dean. Uh, Alex is kind of retired right now. He does come to the games and and sits next to me and and has opinions, believe me, very strongly. (laughs) Uh, But he stepped back a little bit, and Dean is the one now running the day-to-day operation. And they don't get enough credit. When, When you think about the commitment that he has here and the amount of contracts that we've done in the last few years, early contracts for some of our players, to keep this window of opportunity open. I think we're 30 uh, or 29 to 30 contracts. That's a lot of money to put into players. So obviously he believes in the plan here. Obviously he is dedicated to the San Diego Chargers winning. You know, I want to ask you a few questions about the NFL before I let you go. Um, Boy, signing bonuses have just gotten enormous in the last year or so. Is that a concern at all? I know one of the things that makes the NFL so great is that there's not the guaranteed contract. You've got the signing bonus that is guaranteed. Are we moving away from, uh, I don't know, it just seems alarming, like an alarming trend to me. Well, Brian, it is alarming in a way that all of the money and guaranteed money is going to the young kids right out of college that have never played in the National Football League. Uh, It's been discussed over the years if some of the money could be less and maybe more given to proven veterans. Uh, We haven't made very much headway on that. Uh, It is the way it is. It is the business, and it's equal for all 32 teams, so we deal with it. You know, I'm the the guy that believes in just show me the rules. You know, I may not like them. I might make a call. I might write a letter trying to change the rules or participate in that. But rules are rules, and if it's the same for everyone, then then that's all I really care about, and we'll follow them as Chargers. Yeah, you know, I think one of the best things about the NFL is parity. I mean, in the 70s, we saw the Steelers. In the 80s, we saw the Niners. In the 90s, we saw the Cowboys. We've obviously seen the Patriots. Do you think the day and age of a dominant team uh, just kind of winning two or three Super Bowls uh, is done? Boy, I, I don't know. I thought it's, it's really hard to begin with, but that's why I admire the New England Patriots so much, right. even though it's so difficult. 
yet they've won three world championships. And last year, Brian, as you know, they're in the AFC championship again. I had 21-3. Of course, they lose to the Colts. They're almost going back to another Super Bowl. Uh, but but what's important, I think, is to try to be a playoff-caliber team each and every year. That is a goal that we have here for our football team, uh, to just keep banging away and banging away, such as the Colts. I mentioned the Colts because they were always in postseason play, a very, very good football team, but they couldn't get over the hump. The people said their defense wasn't very good. Uh, Peyton Manning wasn't very good. He really wasn't a winner at Tennessee. They can't get by New England. Tom Brady's better. You know, all those things are said, but they were always there each and every year. And last year was a magical year for them. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, case in point, a couple of years ago won a world championship, Brian, but for years, always in the playoffs. A matter of fact, I think five AFC championship games, losing them away, losing them at home, can't get over the hump. They won a world championship. My point is they were always there in postseason play, always banging around with a good football team. Our goal here in San Diego is to establish a playoff team and be banging around and banging around, and maybe something special can happen. We haven't got out of the gate. We've had our opportunities, Brian, as you know, in the last three years. Uh, we've been in two at home, lost them both, just can't get out of the gate. We have to figure out what can we do here to get over the hump and uh, we're trying to figure that out and we're going to have a new coach and a new direction with a new staff and new ideas add more players and hopefully win enough games to get in the tournament so we can get after this thing at the end of 07 that's our dream anyway well aj i really appreciate you making the time for me this week big fan of yours i'm rooting for the chargers this year and i hope you guys get it done thanks for joining me well thanks brian i'm sure we'll talk again yes we will you're listening to sports business radio we'll be right back stay in touch with sbr on twitter twitter.com slash sb radio Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or what's, or what's bad for the BCS. Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Bill Polian. He's the president of the NFL's Indianapolis Colts. He's a five-time winner of the league's Executive of the Year Award. Bill, I know you're very busy this week. Thanks for making some time to join us. 
Glad to do it. You know, you look at your football resume, and uh, it's just incredible. You built a Buffalo Bills team that appeared in four straight Super Bowls. You helped guide the Carolina Panthers to the NFC Championship in only the team's second year of existence. And now you've built a Colts team that has won 12 or more games every year since 2003. By the way, that's an NFL record. You added a Super Bowl victory to your resume when the Colts beat the Chicago Bears. How sweet was it to finally climb to the top of the mountain after being so close previously? Well, it, obviously it's always very nice to win. It's, um, it's great to uh, have the ultimate experience. I joked with the commissioner when I got on the, on the podium for the victory presentation that, um, you know, I didn't know what to do up there because I'd been <laughs> in the other locker room so long. Oh, uh, gosh. But, uh, uh, yeah, I felt best for all of the people here in this organization who, you know, had not had a lot of success over time and, and, and we, we, we've come in and had really pretty quick success. Um, we were 13-3 and three our second year here and then, and then failed to make it to the big game for, for a period of time. So I really felt good for them that, it, that, that they finally got the opportunity to, to feel like it, what it was like to get there. I'd been there before. <laughs> you know, the thing that's most impressive about your organization to me is that everyone seems to be on the same page from the top to the bottom, football operations and business operations. As the person who oversees the entire Colts organization, share with us, if you would, maybe your two to three main philosophies for success, because you've obviously had success wherever you've been. Well, I think the first thing you have to recognize is what it takes to win is simple, but it isn't easy. In our culture, uh, in the National Football League culture these days, um, if you're the Super Bowl loser, you might as well be 3-13. and 13. There, There's no differentiation in the public mind and in the media mind uh, b- between the loser of the Super Bowl and the worst team in the league. Uh, I've often said that, for example, when the St. Louis Cardinals were swept by the Boston Red Sox in Boston's miracle season uh, a couple years ago, the, the Cardinals were not considered, uh, you know, a, a, a pitiable loser. Right. Uh, whereas the the loser of the Super Bowl almost always is. So you got to stay the course. It's important that we make a profit. It's important that we maximize our opportunities to uh, generate revenue because that's what ultimately puts the product on the field but we also have to recognize that uh, winning and losing is is really what drives the train my guest is bill polian he's the president of the nfl's indianapolis colts you guys are kind of flying under the radar is that kind of a good thing maybe low expectations well i don't know about expectations but we like being under the radar uh the the fact that uh we're, we're not a uh uh under the microscope every single day is a good thing from our perspective and uh, and we're very happy to be uh, a below the radar team and let our let our plan do the speaking for us. Well, and any team that has Peyton Manning on it, I'm definitely not betting against that team. You know, you joined the Colts organization in 1998. One of your first moves was to draft Peyton Manning with the number one pick. Since then, Peyton's really become the face of the NFL. He's one of the league's most marketable players. What is it about Peyton Manning that sets him apart from everyone else, both on and off the field? Well, I I can't speak for the marketing sides of it other than to say that his non-football personality, meaning when he's not preparing for or playing a game, is is not unlike what you see on some of the commercials. Mm -hmm. That that sort of um, uh, funny kind of offbeat sense of humor comes through 
and that's the way he is when he's not in a game preparation mode. What sets him apart on the field is that I've never seen a player in my career uh, who prepares as hard and as diligently and as consistently as Peyton Manning. He watches more tape than most coaches. He's, he's got notebooks full of material on every player he's played against. His, his preparation is absolutely meticulous, and he does it uh, 11 months a year. Uh, we have to really work hard to slow him down in the off season because uh, uh, you want him to get away from football some, and you want to certainly rest his arm. And 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 he's back here uh, on April 1st and, and raring to go, just like as though it was October 1st. So uh, his work ethic and his preparation is unparalleled. I've got to ask you this question because I've always wanted to ask it. I remember back in 1998 there was the debate between Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf, and now we look back and it's almost laughable that there was even a debate. Obviously, you made the right decision, but in your heart of hearts, was there ever even a little bit of a thought as to maybe taking Ryan Leaf over Peyton Manning? Well, we had to do our due diligence. We weren't going to accept the fact that uh, conventional wisdom said that uh, Ryan Leaf was the better player. When we began the process, I think there was a split camp even among our scouts. As we got to the end, it was pretty obvious that Peyton was going to be the better choice. His work ethic and the fact that he'd been in school for four years and was really prepared to come in and take over the job of being a quarterback in the National Football League, albeit the fact that he was, we knew he was going to struggle as a rookie. Everyone does. But what shocked me as we went through the process and speaks to why the process is so important is that the conventional wisdom was so often wrong. Uh, all you heard was that Ryan Leaf had a much stronger arm than Peyton Manning. When you actually measured them, that was not the case at all. In fact, it was the reverse. Peyton's arm was stronger. You heard that uh, Ryan was the better athlete. Um, that wasn't true uh, in terms of uh, being a, a, quote, product of the system. I, I don't know what that meant. Uh, right. He didn't play in our system in college. Right. And and the system at Tennessee hasn't been as efficient since he left. So exactly. I, I don't I don't know what that meant. And finally, the fact that he he was not going to be any better at 28 or 29 than he was at 21. Well, at 28 he set a record for touchdown passes thrown in the NFL. So it, it proves once again that you need to do your homework, you need to turn over every rock, you need to apply the appropriate standards and metrics and, and judge people based on objective standards and, and not pay any attention to the conventional wisdom. You know, you talk about doing your homework. You are probably one of the most keen talent evaluators in the history of the NFL. I look at some of these gems that you've uncovered in the draft. You get uh, wide receiver Reggie Wayne in 2001, defensive end Dwight Freeney, who a lot of people said was too small in 2002, tight end Dallas Clark in 2003, Bob Sanders in 2004, and then Joseph Adai to replace Edger and James in 2006. You've built your team largely through the draft and not so much through free agency. Maybe talk about that philosophy for a moment, if you would. Well, part of that is economically driven um, because we have hit on so many number one draft choices and high choices, and because we have so many stars, we don't have a lot of cap room left over when you pay those players to go and get involved in free agency. That's point one. Point two is 
we, we would much prefer as an organization to grow our own because we think that when a player comes in here at 21 or 22 years of age and develops in our culture and does things the way we want to do things and learns how to practice the way we want to practice and prepare the way we want to prepare and to play the way we want to play, which speaks to penalty avoidance and, and, and lack of flamboyancy and team work ethic and things of that nature, that we're better off with that player than bringing somebody in from outside who thinks that somehow or other he's going to graft his personality uh, or that, that we're going to adjust to his personality. Now, we've had some limited success in free agency. Brandon Stokely comes to mind. But we've had um, probably little or no success with high-ticket free agents. Uh, the, really the only one that I can think of that uh, comes to mind off, off the top of my head is Chad Bratsky, who really was a guy that we wanted to bring in here to try and create the kind of winning atmosphere that we needed. Um on the defensive side of the ball. So bottom line is the combination of cap room and, and you might say corporate culture leads us uh, to grow our own rather than, than, than go in the free agent market. Bill, last question. Uh, you've had an incredible career thus far. What are you most proud of? Gosh, I'm not one on, you know, who's big on, on, on retrospectives. Um, I guess, the, con- the consistent winning over time, probably. If you ask me to pick one thing, our teams have, have been competitive uh, and, and consistent winners over time. And, and I think the quality of, of the people, uh, which doesn't speak to me, it speaks to their quality, but the quality of people we've had, you know, the, the Bruce Smiths, the, the Thurman Thomases, the Jim Kellys, the Marv Levy's, the Tony Dungy's, the Peyton Manning's, the Marvin Harrison's, uh, you know, they're, they're all great people as well as Hall of Fame players. So you can't help but, but feel good about that. And I, I feel that that's not my doing. I'm just very blessed to have been associated with people like that. I will um, have spent the bulk of my career, however much longer it goes, with, uh, with two Hall of Fame coaches, Marv Levy and Tony Dungy. You don't get any luckier than that. No, that's tremendous. Bill, again, I've wanted to have you on the show for a long time. I'm a big admirer of yours, and I wish you the best of luck in the NFL playoffs this year. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure being with you. You take care. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Well, I'm dusting off my golf clubs and looking forward to enjoying the gorgeous Oregon summer weather on the golf course. Like many of you, I'm on a budget. I want to tee it up when it's convenient for my schedule, and I enjoy playing golf courses that deliver a private golf club experience. That's why I want to tell you about the Ghost Pass at Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club. The Ghost Pass is Oregon's premier frequent player program that allows you to play the world-renowned Ghost Creek Golf Course for over half off of the regular greens fees. And with your Ghost Pass, you can make your tee times 14 days in advance. The Ghost Pass program sets itself apart by offering a competitive tournament program, which includes one exclusive Ghost Pass event at Witch Hollow. The Ghost Pass is available for only $150, and here's the best part. When you sign up for the Ghost Pass, you'll receive a complimentary round of golf valued at $150. So you literally can't lose when you purchase the Ghost Pass. Go online to PumpkinRidge.com and sign up for the Ghost Pass today. I'll see you on the links. 
one-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Loomis is responsible for the club's entire football operations, and he's in his ninth season in his current position, his 11th season with the Saints. He's a veteran of over 25 years in the NFL. He's also been with the Seahawks, and he won the NFL's Executive of the Year Award in 2006. Mickey, thanks for joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. Thank you, uh, uh, Brian. Pleasure to be with you guys. So congratulations on winning Super Bowl 44 in Miami. As someone who's seen the state of Louisiana, the city of New Orleans, go through so much adversity since Hurricane Katrina, what does this championship mean to the people of that region? Well, you know, that's a good question. And a lot of people have tried to, uh, uh, you know, put into words, you know, what that is. And I'm probably the least qualified person to uh, to describe it because I've only been here for 10 years. But you know we've got a we've got a, a a group of fans that have supported this team for 43 years and uh uh you know it's their first championship and, and I know you know I know that uh, it means an awful lot to them uh you know the state of our city is is uh I would call it euphoric right now <laughs> obviously we've had the super bowl and then Mardi Gras and so it's been a celebration that has lasted for the last uh, you know 10 or 11 days and and I know that uh that uh, you know, people here are still uh, still really excited about about uh, when the Super Bowl. You know, <laughs> I've seen Mardi Gras been referred to as Lombardi Gras, <laughs> um, and so uh, you know, I think that tells you a little bit about what uh, what our fans are are going through. Yeah, I mean, after your first season with the Saints, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you guys finished three and thirteen. Were, did you ever allow yourself to kind of dream? This is. What could it look like if we won the Super Bowl? How crazy would this city go? Well, you know, I've been here since 2000, and you know, my first year here, we won, we won the division, won the first uh, playoff game in the uh, history of the franchise, and so we got a taste of it then on how excited the city was. And uh, you know, we, we've had good teams in the past that just haven't got, gotten quite over the hump. In 2006. You know, after uh, uh, you know, in '05, we went through Hurricane Katrina, and we're, the team was displaced. We went through a three and thirteen season, which is very, you know very difficult on our organization and on our fans, just because of the circumstances. And then in '06, we you know made it to the NFC Championship game and lost to the Chicago Bears. And uh, you know, I, I think our city and and, and our, our region was in a state of euphoria over that, uh, simply. Uh, not just because of of the success of the team, but after coming off such a traumatic event as Hurricane Katrina, and and then uh, you know obviously this year, uh, you know getting all the way to the Super Bowl and then to win it was just uh, you know an incredible experience for all of us. You know there was talk after Hurricane Katrina that owner Tom Benson may move the team because the region would no longer be able to financially support an NFL team. I know the Saints have since made a commitment to remain in New Orleans for years to come, but you know the media reports coming out of New Orleans as far as how the city is doing with the rebuilding efforts. We don't see them as much as we did right after the hurricane. Give us an update how in your perspective how are the rebuilding efforts coming along there? Yeah, you know, a couple of things. First of all, I want to address the first part of uh, your question to lead into it. You know, the the speculation that the team was, was going to or wanted to move all came from the media. It never came from the club itself or the mm-hmm. owner. And so, you know, I continue to read that, and it's it's a mischaracterization of, of uh, 
you know, the intention was always to come back to New Orleans. The only question was, and, and this was a question for the first three or four months after the storm, is is the city going to be back? You know, are people right. going to come back to New Orleans? And you know, once that was established, uh, there was never ever any question that we were going to come back to uh, the city of New Orleans. You know, just the, that transition, whether there would be a place to play, because the Superdome didn't look like it was going to be ready for a couple years immediately after the storm. So that, that's always a mischaracterization that that uh, the team was thinking about or seriously considering, you know, permanently relocating somewhere. Um, you know, the second part is is that, look, we, we've made a lot of progress in the last four years, but there's still uh, a lot of work to be done, particularly in the Ninth Ward um, and in, in the Lakeview area here in, in, uh, in our city. You know, if you're a tourist and you come here and you're going to the French Quarter or you're going to, to be downtown or... Uh, or in the warehouse district or uptown, you, you're going to see, um, you know, uh, areas that are pretty much restored to what they were before the storm, and in some cases even better. But there are there are a couple of regions, areas in in the, in and around New Orleans that need uh, need a lot of work yet. And so, um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, our Super Bowl win and and the attention that's been brought on our area will. Uh, help spur additional work in those areas. I'm joined by Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and the general manager of the New Orleans Saints. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Mickey, uh, let's talk about how you built this football organization. And let's start back in 2006 with the hiring of Sean Payton. I was reading a story as I was preparing for this interview. And uh, I see that you came across a video of Sean Payton when he was a coach with the Cowboys, it was about a half an hour video. What did you see in that video that made you say, wow, this is a guy who's intriguing as a possibility for the next head coach of the Saints? Well, Brian, you know, one of the things that the league does is that they uh, they do interviews with, with uh, a lot of assistant coaches around the league, assistant coaches that aspire to be head coaches. And it's it's basically a 30-minute videotaped interview um, you know, the questions are pretty generic. You know, they ask, uh, you know, each guy you know, basically the same questions, and and then, uh, you know, you get to view their answers. And, and you know, I don't, I don't know that it was anything that he said specifically. It was more just about his presentation. Um, you know, I watched, I watched a bunch of those interviews, probably 30 of them when it was all said and done, 30 to 40 of them. And, you know, he jumped out at me as a guy that, that hey, look, his presentation was excellent. And, Hey, this is a guy that I would listen to if I were a player and, and was hearing him uh, hearing him speak. Um, you know, he had a few things in there that I liked in terms of the answer, the actual answers, but uh, more than anything, it was just the presentation. So that got him on um, on our radar screen. Uh, and then, you know, you do due diligence. You call different people that he's worked with, and, and at every on every occasion, you know, I got the A plus recommendation, and so. Uh, he got to the point where, hey, look, I, I want to meet this guy, and he was uh, coaching in Dallas, and we were in San Antonio at the time, and so I asked him to uh, fly down from Dallas and meet me at the airport uh, in in San Antonio, and we spent about two two and a half hours together, you know, one evening just real informally, and and uh, you know, I, I knew at that time that look, this guy would be an excellent candidate, and and would be just what we needed in New Orleans in terms of his energy and his vision for how he he wanted to uh um you know help build the team it was very much in line with some of the philosophies that that uh you know I thought were needed in our in our building and in our city and and uh, you know we went from there um 
He came later to New Orleans and had, uh, you know, a two-day pretty extensive and intense interview. And and uh, luckily, it was a great fit for both of us. Mickey, every coach seems to have signature moments over the course of their career. I would bet when it's all said and done for Sean Payton, the decision to make an onside kick at the start of the second half of the Super Bowl is going to be one of the signature moments of his career. Did you know he was going to make that call? And if you didn't, what were you thinking when you saw that play uh, to begin the second half of the Super Bowl? Well, you know, it's something, an onside kick is something we talked about and he talked about during the course of the week. And we felt like... uh, we had we had a good plan for that type of onside kick, and we felt like our chances of recovery were were really good. And so I don't know that it, we thought it was as risky as uh, you know it's been portrayed to be. Obviously, there's a risk there, but but we felt pretty good about our chances to recover a surprise onside kick in that circumstance. And and uh, I didn't know when he was going to use it. I knew that he planned on using it. Um, you know, the code name for that was ambush, and and uh, you know, I knew he was going to use ambush at some point in the uh, in the game, and then during halftime, you know, I told our guys in the booth, "Hey, look, I would be willing to uh, bet we're going to come out with an onside kick." And uh, sure enough, we did, and and uh, we were lucky enough to recover it and score a touchdown off that possession, and you know, really was a key uh, key point in the game. And and you know, Sean has always been the kind of coach that is trying to, you know, he's trying to do things to win the game and, and as opposed to, you know, not lose a game. And so it didn't surprise me. He's, he's always been aggressive. You know, we go forward a lot on fourth down and, and we do some other things that, that, uh, you know, I think are aggressive, uh, uh, moves during the course of a game, so that didn't surprise me at all. So after hiring Sean Payton, you were able to land uh, Drew Brees as the quarterback. You know, and at the time, Brees was coming off a torn labrum. Some people thought he might not be able to regain the form that he had in San Diego. Walk us through how that all came together. I remember the Dolphins were also aggressively pursuing him as well, but how did he wind up in New Orleans? Well, you know, first of all, that... that uh... You know, the injury that he had was, was, I don't know that I would call it unprecedented, but uh, for a quarterback to have that type of injury, um, you know, it can be really devastating. And, and there definitely was question as to whether or not he could come back from it. But, you know, after after talking to a number of uh, doctors that are familiar with that surgery and familiar with that injury, and including the doctor, uh, James Andrews, who did the surgery himself, we, we just felt like he could come back from it, that the... Uh, 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 the rehab time, you know, it might be one year. He might have been ready that first season, but if he wasn't, that it'd be real good chance that he was going to be ready in year two. And so, you know, if you draft a quarterback, you can, it's going to take two or three years for that guy to get uh, 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 to the point where he can play at his optimum level. And yet, here's a guy, Drew Brees, who had already proven in San Diego that he was going to be uh, or that he was a, uh, an excellent quarterback. So we didn't feel like the risk was as great as as uh, uh, even even a draft pick. And so, you know, fortunately for us, it was just us and the Dolphins. And, and you know, they made a decision to go another route, which was, you know, good for us. Uh, uh, but I'm not sure Drew wouldn't have come to New Orleans anyway because he had a great visit here. He had a connection with uh, Sean Payton. And, and uh, you know, I think in a lot of ways, Drew has said that this was really a higher calling for him. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the New Orleans Saints. We've got a few minutes left. Mickey, uh, any time you win a Super Bowl, it's hard to defend. You've got that target on your back. This year is going to be interesting, it would it would seem, for someone in your position, because it looks like we may have an uncapped season 
coming up. And I've tried to understand this. I'm hoping you can explain it a little bit better to myself and to our audience. I know that there are going to be some players who may have been unrestricted free agents in a normal year, but they're not going to be if there's an uncapped season. Explain that to us, and how does that affect your job and what you have to do when you're looking at signing players? Well, you know, what it means is that that players who are in uh, year four and year five of their career um, are going to be restricted free agents instead of unrestricted free agents if we don't have a new, uh, uh, you know, agreement by the beginning of uh, the league year, which is, I think, March 5th. and so, you know, we've got some players in that category that otherwise would be unrestricted, um, and so they're not going to be as free to change teams as they would be otherwise. Although, you know, they can receive offers and, and uh, uh, sign offers with other teams. You know, we'll have, in most cases, we'll have a right of first refusal. Um, so it remains to be seen how that ultimately affects us, because I think we would have we would have an excellent. Uh, uh, opportunity to sign these guys even if they were unrestricted you know we've got a good team and we've got uh, players that want to be here and 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 obviously from our standpoint we've got a lot of guys that we want to be here so um, ultimately I don't know what the difference would be um, in terms of the makeup of our team but you know we've got a tough challenge ahead of us because you know it's hard to defend uh, a Super Bowl championship, you know, because of just what you said, you've got the target on you. Everybody wants to beat you. That helps to make their season. And, uh, you know, we'll see how we handle it. I read a great story about you in the Eugene Register guard before the Super Bowl. And uh, it talked about how you lo- you knocked on a lot of doors before you got your first chance at pro sports with the Seattle Seahawks in the early 80s. We have a lot of students and people wanting to work in the sports world listening to this show. What advice would you give to people about, you know, knocking on those doors and making yourself stand out so you can get a job in the sports world? Well, boy, that's a good question. And and uh, I don't know that I have a great answer for it because, you know, I think, I think now um, – Different than than it was when I started is that I, I think there are more people that are looking to get into sports uh, now than there was you know 25 years ago, right. 26 years ago, uh, because then you know the the opportunity to to make a good living wasn't nearly as great. I mean you you're working for for uh, a lot less money than you could you could earn in in a lot of other sectors uh, in private industry. So. I think what I would say is this, is that just keep knocking on doors because eventually you'll get an opportunity and, and then you've got to be uh, diligent enough and work hard enough to take advantage of it. Something I've noticed this off season: Mike Shanahan in Washington, Pete Carroll in Seattle. They're executive VPs, they're in charge of the whole show, but they're also the head coaches. How hard is it to do both jobs? First of all, I, I don't I don't know that I agree with you because you know in, in Washington, Mike Shanahan has Bruce Allen as his general manager, and 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 Bruce has a, a world of experience right. and is right. an excellent general manager. He's been successful. He's uh, uh, been to the Super Bowl a number of times, and and uh, you know he knows what he's doing in this league, and so. You know, Mike's got a guy he can rely on pretty heavily, and in Pete, in Pete Carroll's case, you know, he's got uh, uh, personnel people, and he's got uh, you know, President and Todd Lewicki and and uh, personnel people in their building. So they're not really running the show in the sense that they're, that, you know, they're dictators. They've got good people that they can rely on uh, and, and use their expertise. Um, you know, I think there's at the end of the day, there's there's several different structures that can be successful in the NFL, and and uh, you know that 
it's certainly one of them when you have the head coach at the um, uh, you know made as the final decision maker, and there are other examples and great examples when you have a general manager as the, as the uh, um, final decision maker, and then there's the examples of, of teams that use you know. Uh, um, three different guys that that are all uh, you know working in concert together and I think at the end of the day you have to work in concert with each each facet of uh of an organization otherwise you're not going to be successful. Well Mickey, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation. Uh I'm very very happy for you that you guys won the Super Bowl and uh thanks for taking time with us this week on Sports Business Radio. I appreciate it, Brian. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back podcast of this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back, and I hope you've enjoyed looking back on my conversations with A.J. Smith of the San Diego Chargers, Bill Polian of the Indianapolis Colts, and Mickey Loomis of the New Orleans Saints. You can always find the best conversations that we've had in the history of our show, including these, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Go to our interviews section. I want to thank our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon and New School Media Coaching, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Click on the podcast page. We're on Facebook, facebook.com backslash sportsbusinessradio. I'm on Twitter, at SB Radio. We will talk to you next week with a live edition of Sports Business Radio. Have a great week. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports 
in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.